You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach! Welcome back to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. It's me, your host, Chrissy Beltran, and I am so excited that you're here today. You guys, this is season three of this podcast. It's season three! And a lot has happened since I made the decision to start recording on season one. There's been a pandemic, like a real one, that affected every single person on earth, including you and me. And in my own little bubble, we have a new member in the Beltran Ceniceros household. My daughter, our daughter, Eva May, or Evie, was born on March 25th, and she was born eight weeks early. It was a rough go of it. I actually spent five weeks in the hospital before she was born, trying to keep the bun in the oven safely long enough for her to grow a bit more. And we made it to 32 weeks. Um, Evie decided to join us earlier than planned. <laughs> so she spent a month in NICU, and now she's doing great. Uh, as of the day of this recording, she has learned the sign for milk. She babbles, ma, 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 da, 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 and boo, boo, boo. I don't know. She loves that one. She does not enjoy rolling. Uh, she has done it, but she does not choose to do it. <laughs> but she does enjoy sitting, and she loves eating, and she loves watching her big sister Annie jump and dance or do really anything at all. And she is just a constant joy. She is cheerful and sweet and just little sunshine and rainbows. So this last year, <clears throat> I've been through all the feels for sure, okay? Um, I decided that this first month of season three is going to be about all the feels. And this episode is about all the feels. So we're talking matters of the heart all throughout February. And I'm really looking forward to sharing these episodes with you because I feel like right now, coaching is really hard. Teaching is really hard. And everybody is just sort of expecting that you act like everything's normal. It's like the little uh, meme of the dog sitting in the office on his computer and everything's on fire around him. And he says, this is fine. Everything's fine. And we're all just supposed to pretend that it's fine, but that's not real, right? You know, I know I've gone through a lot and I'm not on a campus right now. And I know you have gone through a lot. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. All the feelings that we go through and are going through as coaches. Because even on our best day, coaching feelings run the whole gamut. Seriously, you can feel super excited and proud one minute and then so miserable the next minute. And it's just constant work to manage our feelings, to feel them and let them go if needed so we can move on to the next thing. Because coaching is nothing if not thing after thing after thing. As a coach on a campus, I felt a lot of things. And as a coach now who does work with different schools a little at a time, the feelings are way easier to control um, because they just don't all hit you at once. And you're not working with the same crowd of people day in and day out. And really so much of the feelings that we have as coaches come from that experience of working with the same team day in, day out, you know the history, you know all the details. Even if you try to avoid the drama, you've heard of the gossip sometimes. And sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen is if you hear what's going on behind the scenes that you would really rather not know. 
Um, that's actually a huge piece of advice. Try to avoid the gossip and drama if at all possible, because it makes it really hard to do your job sincerely sometimes. Um, but I can tell you about a lot of the things I felt as a campus coach. So I'm going to share a little bit about the coaching feelings that I had as a coach and when they seemed to pop up. And then at the very end here, I'm going to give you a little tip for adding joy to your day in small bits. And I'm super excited about this tip because I learned it from a podcast where I learn a lot of things. <laughs> and I think it's going to really make a difference if you apply it every single day. And it's a small thing, so you'll love it. So the first feeling, and this, this is very telling, whenever I was brainstorming my list of feelings to talk about in this episode about feelings, the first one that popped up was stress. And that's not great, <laughs> right? Um, the next couple of episodes, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how we can set boundaries and how we can, um, you know, support teacher mental health and and um, and think about SEL for all, you know, that's what we're the topics of the next three episodes are. But even when you're trying to do all that, there's a ton of stress in coaching work. Really, you have more to do than it's humanly possible to do. If you add up all the things that need to be done or anyway, everything that's on your list, they're absolutely going to add up to more than the days that you have. They're going to add up to more hours than there are in a day. They're going to add up to more minutes than there are in an hour. And no matter how many of your lunch times you skip or how many days you work late or how many days you come in earlier, how many Saturdays you volunteer to come work with kids or whatever it is that you, you know, you put on your plate, you're not going to get the list done because guess what happens when you mark something off the top of the list, somebody else or you add something to the bottom of the list. So the list is growing from one end. And even if it's getting shorter on the top, it's getting longer by double on the bottom. Stress is so difficult to handle when you don't have a minute to yourself. So something I would really recommend is if it is at all possible, building in even just two minutes to yourself of peace throughout the day, because there is no way to deal with stress when people are barking at you, when you are running from room to room, when you are dealing with kids that need a lot of support, which often is what happens with instructional coaches is we support the kids who need the most maybe academic and behavior support, which takes a lot out of you. It's impossible to find any peace. And it seems like the only remedy for stress is peace, right? So we have to find ways to build in moments of peace throughout our day. And maybe that looks like before everybody else comes in, you're going to get there 15 minutes early and you're going to go into your room and close your door and turn off the light so nobody knows you're in there. And then you're just going to sit there and kind of think about your day, think through your day, rehearse it, and just sit quietly and have some coffee. And that is your piece that you have to start with in the morning. Sometimes that little you know, chunk of time, that, that small amount of, amount of peace is enough to carry you through maybe to lunchtime. And then maybe at lunchtime, you could do it again. And that might be enough to carry you to the end of the day. We have to kind of stop, take a few minutes here and there to find some rest, because if not, the stress just keeps coming. It just keeps coming until eventually you've got that little, you know, in cartoons, whenever they show the characters having to deal with too much, and they would show the little meter on their eyes and it would go over to the tilt side. Like, you know, that's what I picture sometimes. It's like, if one more person drops one more thing on me, I am going to go right over to tilt. Can't do it. We have to do it ourselves. We have to find that piece ourselves because no one's going to give it to us. So 
Stress is the first thing I wanted to talk about because it seems to be the thing that's on the tip of everybody's tongue right now and in the forefront of our brains. It's a stressful time, but coaching work is always stressful and nobody else is going to make it less stressful for us. Okay. The next episode, we're going to talk a lot about setting boundaries and saying no. And I think that's so important. And hopefully that will help you address this first coaching feeling that I have on my list. My second coaching feeling is another one that I'm sad made such a, you know, high part, made it to the top of my list, but it did. It's anxiety. If you're anything like me, there are certain teachers or grade levels that just stress you out. That when you think about meeting with them, your heart rate jumps up a few notches and you're already feeling frustrated. <laughs> there are, it, we don't always get along really well with different types of people. And so some people have a personality type that doesn't blend well with ours and it increases our anxiety. We think about how am I going to support this teacher in this? They still haven't done this and I have to have this conversation. We're going to plan for this unit and I just know they're going to have a problem with this. They want to go back to use these resources that we are not supposed to be using anymore because they're outdated and I know I'm going to have to tell them not to do it. And I cannot tell them one more time that we need to do something different. And we worry about it and we have anxiety about it. And before the meeting, we feel icky and yucky and a sense of dread. And then the meeting starts and we're like, Ugh, right. And it's really, really hard to get through those sessions sometimes or sessions with individual teachers that you've had a million times. And you just know that, that they're not responding, right? They're not responding to you. Coaches, we spend so much time trying to give to our teachers. It's time to do something for yourself. The Teacher Care Crate by The Designer Teacher is such a fun way to treat yourself, and the best part is it's delivered right to your home. Even though it's called Teacher Care Crate, it's full of things that coaches will love. Each month's crate is a different theme, and it includes items to brighten your mood, day, and home. Self-care items include artwork and decor, fun supplies, cute teacher stuff, wearable items, treats, and more. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash teachercrate to get your first box. Using this link doesn't add anything to the cost, but it does mean I will receive a small amount from your purchase that helps keep this show going. So head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash teachercrate today. I'm going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltron. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, the 40-hour work week, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. Something that helps me deal with the anxiety of of working with a, with a crowd of teachers that I know isn't that excited to work with me or may not respond all that well to what I have to share with them. One is I do rehearse. I rehearse certain things that I need to say. So things that I know are going to be tricky, 
I rehearse them so I know how I can say them. It doesn't always come out like that in the moment, but at least I have a plan if I need it. So the rehearsing really helps a lot. The other thing is I take a moment to sit in the anxiety and notice where it's coming from. And I just sort of feel it. And I think, okay, well, my stomach is kind of hurting right now, or my heart rate is kind of speeding up a little bit right now, or the thoughts in my brain are racing around way too fast right now. And I just sit for a minute. So I kind of feel like it's okay. This is going to pass. I'm not going to feel like this all the time. In a few minutes, they're going to come in. We're going to do the work we need to do. And then we're going to move on. And sometimes that is helpful in preparing for these meetings or sessions that I know are going to be challenging and I'm having anxiety about them. My third, how sad my third, (laughs) my third feeling, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's avoidance. I don't know if that is considered a feeling, but I feel like it's a feeling. Sometimes going into the classroom to work with somebody that I know didn't want me around made me feel like I wanted to stick my head in the sand and pretend like I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. (laughs) And that is because certain classroom environments were incredibly stressful for me. Um, Very specific rooms. Just, I walked in and I thought, I have to plaster this smile on my face because I am not happy right now and it's going to show. So I wanted to avoid it, right? But if we're a coach, those are the rooms that we really have to be in the most sometimes, right? The rooms that, that we are needed. And I'm not saying go busting in and change everything up, but whenever you have been asked or whenever they have, have said, well, I'm struggling to do this and it's never going to work. And you have kind of made your positive offer and said, well, let me help you. I can get in there and help you. We've got to follow through and do the thing that's hard to do. Nobody else can do it, but you, nobody else is going to do this work. So tackling that classroom work as stressful and, and scary as it can be, and is as anxiety inducing as it can be, that really makes me feel like I want to avoid it entirely might be the most important thing that I do that day. But how do you do it? How do you get in there and do it whenever you think this teacher does not want me around? The thing that I tell myself that might be strange, I tell myself a lot of strange things <laughs> to get through the day sometimes. The thing that I tell myself is I say, this teacher doesn't even know the real me. So how could she not like me? <laughs> How could she be angry at the real me if she doesn't even know who that is? She only sees the part of me that comes to school. She only sees the part of me that's in her room. She doesn't see the rest of me. So how could she be that angry at me if she doesn't even know me? I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody else, but it definitely helps me put it into context put it into perspective. The people that you're working with right now that might stress you out more than anything Honestly, down the road in five, 10 years, you may not even know them anymore. You may not be working with them anymore. All that personal stuff that makes it really hard to get into those rooms sometimes can get in the way of good and important coaching and teaching. And if we pull out that personal stuff and we say, they don't even know me. So how could they possibly be this upset at me? They're upset at the role. They're upset at what they're being asked to do. They're upset at the change. They're not upset at me because this isn't me. If we can pull all that personal stuff out and just focus on the work and say, well, this is what we got to do here. We're here for kids. This is why I'm here. It can really help you stop avoiding the hard work of getting into those classrooms where there's a lot of reluctance and help you motivate yourself to say, I'm here for the work. I'm a professional. This is my job. I'm going to do what I have to do. Another coaching feeling 
that I frequently had, and I, it's too bad that it took me four feelings to get into a positive one, but here we are, is excitement. When I started a new project or a partnership, or I had something new that I wanted to try out and I was excited, or I was planning for a PLC because I love planning, <laughs> I was super excited to do these things. And it's kind of strange to go from being super excited about one thing and then the next minute to be absolutely dreading something. But that is the work of coaching, right? We go from one extreme to the other sometimes. So whenever I started a new project and I was excited, those were the best days. Sometimes following through and finishing the project was a little bit trickier, but starting something new and exciting, a new program with a librarian or figuring out a new unit with fourth grade and they were excited to try it too. It's so motivating. Those moments of joy and excitement, you really want to hold on to them because not every day includes those moments, right? And so the moments that are, are special and joyful and cheerful and exciting, hold on to those moments for the difficult times and remember that those moments will come again. You maybe are testing or you're working on strategies that are just like test taking strategies or you are categorizing the book room or um, going through the whole school and handing out workbooks and it's just terrible, but you will be excited about something again. So get your brain around. What can I look forward to? I once heard someone say, and I, I don't know that this is accurate, but it was something to think about. Um, but depression is not having anything to look forward to, not looking forward to anything. And I do, I, that kind of does um, resonate with me because I always want something to look forward to. So for example, this is a silly example. It's a personal example. After my daughter's birthday in October, I started thinking, okay, maybe I can have a little new year's party for her little friends and we can invite them over and uh, you know, in early January. And then we had our new year's party in early January. And I thought, okay, my other daughter's birth first birthday is in March. So I can start thinking about that. I think I'm gonna do a rainbow theme. Always having something to look forward to gives you that fun personal project that can motivate you through difficult times, because if you're really frustrated with something, you can turn to this thing that you're excited to work on and um, start focusing your energy there and kind of give yourself a boost. Another feeling that I felt frequently was nervousness. And, you know, people have always told me, oh, you speak in front of people, you know, in big groups, so you're comfortable doing that. And you always seem fine. You, you know, you talk in front of crowds that you don't know, and, you know, you have a podcast, but it doesn't mean I don't get nervous. <laughs> um, I say a lot of things, a lot of things come out of my mouth and many of them are probably not great. And so I'm always nervous. I'm going to say something I shouldn't, even in small groups, I think, Ugh, what did I say today that I put my foot in my mouth? That's just who I am. I've come to accept it for the most part, but every now and then I say a real winner that I wish I hadn't. So whenever I used to model in front of a new class, that always made me so nervous. I was nervous because I didn't know what the management was going to be. And it's kind of like, you know, before school started in, in um, August or July, wherever you are, I used to have these nightmares. They were teacher nightmares. And it was always about management. It was always that I was asking kids to do things. And they were just like, no, we're not going to do that. We do what we want here. That was always what my nightmares were about. I remember distinctly one year I had a nightmare that my, this is so weird, that my school had been moved into a mall. And so it was like a two-story mall and you could see down, like, you know, in the middle of the mall, you look down um, from the second floor and you can see the first floor. 
And so my, I was, my fourth grade classroom was upstairs in the mall. (laughs) And my principal had also decided that I was going to start teaching kindergarten in the mall. And so I was, I was having to move as a first day of school. And I was having to move my classroom from the fourth grade room to the kindergarten room, set up the kindergarten room while I was responsible for managing both the fourth grade classroom and the kindergarten classroom. And I was moving things from the second story to the first story. This had to have been 10 years, 12 years ago that I had this dream. And I still remember it pretty vividly. So it was incredibly traumatic (laughs) for me. Um, and it really freaked me out because the kids were running wild. Every time I left the room to go get something from the other classroom, they would lose it. Of course. I mean, it was kindergartners on the first day. It was chaos. So that feeling of nervousness of not being in control, because I'm a, I'm big on control. I like to be in control. It makes me feel safe. Uh, that's something I also have come to accept about myself, that feeling of nervousness. It, it perpetuated whenever I would model or co-teach in front of a class that I hadn't worked with before, especially if I could see that the management was not really in place and the teacher spent a lot of time yelling at the kids or redirecting in very loud and unhappy ways. And that used to stress me out. I was always nervous. And so what I started to do to really help me through that is I used to have a frank conversation about management, not critical, but I would say, what is your management system? And if the teacher was like, well, and then they didn't really have one, or if they said they had one, but it wasn't working, I would say, can I implement this simple management system with your class while I'm there? And it was very basic. It was kind of adapted from a GLAD strategy, the language acquisition strategies, where we would I would introduce um, three basic principles of, of behavior that were expected. They were called behavior expectations. While I was there in the classroom, this is what is expected. And um, it was about uh, controlling their comments because I would see lots of shouting out and saying unhelpful or inappropriate things. It was about um, choosing a positive attitude and it was about being engaged in their own learning. So those three things were what I taught. I explicitly introduced them. We rehearsed them. We talked about what they meant. And then I actually would give points to teams in the classroom as they demonstrated these behaviors. I would record points on the bottom. Nobody got anything for the points. It was really just an acknowledgement. I see you doing this thing. Teachers, embraced it because it was explicit. It was simple. It wasn't, they didn't have to buy stuff. It was just about, this is what is expected. And I'm going to notice when you do it so that you can notice when you do it too. And we're going to practice it every day. And so many times after I introduced that in a classroom as a tool that would, that would be supportive of me as a teacher in the classroom for that short time, the teacher would roll it out with their class in a larger way over the next few weeks, and it would make a difference in behavior. So that was a really great strategy that I tried. Very simple. I have a blog post about it. um, And we can share that here in the show notes because it made a huge impact on my feeling of nervousness. I knew that when I walked into that room, I had a plan that was going to be supportive of me as a teacher and supportive of the kids as students. Okay. My next feeling was boredom. (laughs) I was not, I'm not like a bored person. It takes a lot for me to feel bored because I always have something I'm excited to do. I always have a project I'm excited to work on or a new idea that I'm excited to try or whatever it is. But sometimes you are not allowed to do cool stuff. 
And that is when I feel super bored. So basically when I am monitoring tests, I am bored out of my mind. Now in Texas at the time, we were trained in how to monitor tests. You had to walk around the room. Now this is not the way, whenever I first started teaching, it looked nothing like this. Okay. Security got really great, really, really crazy over the last few years I was in the classroom and more so whenever I was an instructional coach in on a campus, but you had to walk around the room. Active monitoring is what they called it. We had to record time out time in for the bathroom. We had to, um, do very specific things to make sure that kids were on track. You weren't allowed to say certain things, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, I can't answer that for you. Just do the best you can is ingrained into my soul at this point, because that was the line that was in the booklet that everybody highlighted. Cause that was basically the only thing you were allowed to say if a kid asked you a question. So it was pretty awful and you had to be aware. You couldn't sit on your computer because my computer had to be locked in the closet. Couldn't have your phone out, had to be locked in the closet. You had to sign your life away that you wouldn't touch your stuff because they didn't want anybody cheating or spreading answers or any of those kinds of things. So I was, I mean, it was just not good for my brain, super boring. So I used to have to think, okay, what problem am I going to figure out in my brain today? I had to keep my brain engaged somehow because it was such a terrible thing. And you weren't allowed to look at the test either. So it's not like I could peek at the test and just entertain myself that way. I, you had to monitor without observing the test, but make sure the kids are working on the right part of the test, but don't look at it. Make sure they bubble their answers, but do not look at the test. It was, it was ridiculous. Anyway, I used to say, okay, I'm going to think about my classroom layout. And as I was actively monitoring, I'm walking around the room and I'm thinking about the flow of the room. And I was thinking about how I have things organized and what big changes might be supportive and what systems do I need? And I wasn't supposed to write anything down, but you know, whenever the kids were on a break, maybe they go to lunch, then I could write down my list of things that I wanted to change for next year. So having something in my brain to do helped somewhat, but honestly, those are the longest days of my life. And they were the very, like they were the days that I was the most tired, which is crazy because I didn't do anything except for walk 18 million steps, but in a circle. So, so yeah, I used to um, keep a thought in my brain to where I could plan for something so that I at least was engaged and I didn't feel like I had just thrown a whole day of my life away whenever I was monitoring tests. So Another feeling that I had frequently, not so much at first, but over time coaching at the same school was frustration. Sometimes you look at the classrooms and you're like, you know, we have the same problems we had two years ago. We have the same issues we had six months ago. This teacher is doing the same thing we talked about not doing, you know, a year and a half ago. And you don't feel like there's any change and it can be really frustrating or when teachers um, push back on certain things that they not necessarily even your idea. It's not that you're telling them what to do, but sometimes we are responsible for supporting them in new initiatives that come down from the top and they push back on things that you know would actually benefit their classroom if they could envision it. Or they are not wanting to learn something new and you can see that the kids in the room are suffering. So all of those things can result in lots of frustration because you feel like there's been no growth, no change. That was a hard feeling for me because it was hard for me not to be irritated with individuals that I felt like were perpetuating this. So 
my best recommendation for that is to really look back at progress. I kept a notebook every year that I was a coach. Each year I, I started a new notebook, just like I started a new school calendar. And in my notebook, I would write down observations and ideas and thoughts and things I learned and stuff we could try and possible lessons and everything just went in one space. If I have too many different spaces for things, I will never look at it. But if I have one notebook, I can flip back and see what was I thinking about. So sometimes it'd be really helpful in, you know, April or May when I was feeling super frustrated to look back at October or November and see that things had changed and maybe it had been so gradual that I hadn't noticed it. But there were certainly uh, classrooms where there was tremendous growth, where teachers were doing great things. And I could see the evidence of that just in looking at the change in the notes that I had made. There were classrooms that maybe hadn't changed as much, but it wasn't all of them. And so by focusing on that handful of classrooms that I felt had not made growth, I was robbing myself of the joy of seeing the growth that teachers had made and that kids had made. And I was just like, like immersing myself in frustration and swimming in it. And it wasn't good for anybody. Another really good thing to do when you're feeling super frustrated is go into a classroom that is like really awesome and that makes you happy to be in. So if you go into a classroom where the teacher is just on it and they are doing great things, whether you plan them with it or not, whether you had anything to do with it or not, go look at the great teaching and go look at the kids learning and fill up your soul that way because a soul that is full of joy cannot be full of frustration. Another feeling that I had, and I had it pretty often, was happiness. When something went well for a teacher and they were proud of their work or they were really happy with something they did, I was so happy for them because they tried something new and then they came and told me about it, which is even better. I, got, I get to celebrate with them. Really hold on to those moments. And if you find yourself struggling frequently with frustration or boredom, write them down, write down those positive, joyful, celebratory moments so that later you can look back at them and say, I have done something. I have done something. Miss Anderson brought me, you know, the, the piece that her children wrote after we did that really cool poetry vocabulary, you know, uh, post-it activity. And she had her kids create this piece and she was so proud of it. She cried. That's a moment that actually happened. <laughs> and I can remember that. She was so proud of her kids and so happy that they had, had expressed themselves in new ways and used new language to shape new ideas in their writing. And I helped her do that. And if I hadn't been there, that wouldn't happen. Kind of like an it's a wonderful life moment. If I hadn't been there, that moment wouldn't have happened, right? So we have to take the good with the bad. We can't just focus on what's not working. We have to hold on to those moments of happiness. Okay. My last feeling that I'm going to share with you is camaraderie. And again, I, I think that's a feeling. That's, I think that's categorized as a feeling. Sometimes you work so well with somebody and you feel so good about this project that you put out or this PD that you did together and everything just comes together. And I want to encourage you to savor those moments. If something has gone well, where you have worked with a partner, a co-teaching partner, you've done a really great coaching cycle. You've planned some great intervention with somebody, savor the moments and express it. I have loved working with you. This has been great. I really enjoyed this. Maybe we can work together again. That is how you build your team. That's how you get more people on your coaching team and you build a culture is by expressing that 
the work that you do together is valuable and it matters and it's great. So those moments of camaraderie, you know, that's a cheesy phrase, but teamwork makes the dream work, right? So whenever it does go well and you actually can see the value of working with somebody, put that in your pocket and carry it around with you because whenever you need another go-to person, there's your person. Everybody needs somebody to work with. Everybody needs a partner. And if you don't have one, that can be really tough. If you do not have a partner, I would recommend you taking a look at the coffee and coaching membership, because that could be a great place for you to find a partner really anywhere across the States or anywhere around the world. It's coffee and coaching membership.com. And you can join us there to get support for your coaching, lots of videos that will help you learn how to do new things, some downloadable resources and a Facebook community just for coffee and coaching members. I'm going to share with you my last little bit here is the best tip I've ever heard for adding joy to your day. So I listened to Jenna Kutcher's podcast, the gold digger podcast, and she had on a guest who was talking about like kind of, you know, envisioning your, your life and making it the way that you want. And the guest said, this is what they said that was, I thought so poignant. It just really stuck to me. She said, okay, think about your day and think about something that you are not looking forward to. Okay. So, you know, for example, you have PLC on Tuesdays, like I did, and you have first, third and fifth grade that you're going to be working with that day. And you know, fifth grade is going to give you pushback because they got test scores in and they're going to be really upset about it. And they're going to want to do a hundred million passages of drill and kill to prepare their kids for the next round of the tests. And so you're not looking forward to it. Right. She said, envision this part of your day and think about what could you do to make that part of your day more joyful, to add something, to add joy to that part of your day, anything, what could add joy to that moment? And I was thinking about my example because I mean, it's totally legit happened. (laughs) And I thought, well, I could probably share a really cool strategy at the beginning of PLC that might cheer everybody up, first of all, but that I would also enjoy, okay, that I would get joy out of in sharing something new with teachers in trying something different and giving them a tool in their toolbox that feeds my soul, helping somebody, giving somebody a new idea, you know, doing something hands-on that really does bring joy to my day. So if I could do that to bring joy to my day and it'll bring joy to their day, everything can feel a little bit better. And I have added joy to that moment whenever it would just be full of dread and anxiety, like I mentioned earlier. So think through your day, think about what are the moments you are not very excited about? Maybe the moment that you are the least excited about for the whole day. And what can you do to add even a tiny bit of joy to that moment? Because if we do that, We have raised the amount of joy that we have every single day. And over time, our average joy goes up and we are living a more joyful life. So I love the advice. I wanted to share it with you today. It was beautiful. And I really hope that you can implement some of that. So these are the next few episodes that I'm, that I'm sharing. I talked about earlier, they're about setting boundaries. They're about um, supporting teacher mental health and our own as well, and also about um, SEL, social emotional learning for the whole campus. In the past, I have actually shared episodes about self-care. And so I wanted to kind of highlight those for you so you can go back and listen to them because I think they're so valuable. 
we're going to dig deeper into boundaries and supporting teacher retention. But these are, these are like a good start to get you ready for the rest of this month where we're talking about matters of the heart. So in episode 45 of season two, I talk about um, self-care for coaches. I gave coaching strategies for this. In episode 46, my guest, Sarah Forst, shared about her book, The Teacher's Guide to Self-Care. And she talked about how that's relevant for coaches as well. And then in episode 47, I interviewed my friend, Celeste Nevadas, who is a counselor. Uh, she's a um, licensed personal counselor, I believe. And she talked about mental health and mindfulness. So those three episodes are a great place to dig in if you are struggling to kind of get yourself in a good place for the spring semester. And then next week, I'm going to talk in episode 89 with Caitlin of the Teacher Self-Care Club. So you can learn about how to set boundaries. And I'm super excited because as a coach, I hardly had any. And I can guarantee that it was to the detriment of my coaching and my life because boundaries, we need them. <laughs> We need them. We don't know how to do them. She's going to teach us. Okay. So join me next week for episode 1989, where we learn about how boundaries can make you a better coach. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.